Welcome back to Building the Bach, and I'm your host, Jason Spies. In our next segment, Bach and Water, we talk with Amanda Persons with a Beaver Creek Archaeology, Ed Schaefer, former governor of North Dakota and current member of the Continental Resources Board of Directors, North Dakota State Representative Vicki Steiner, and Dr. John Huntington. This is Amanda Persons, Beaver Creek Archaeology. Uh, my name is Amanda Person. Amanda, what is it that you do for Beaver Creek Archaeology? That's right. I am the paleontologist. So archaeologists work with anything that's cultural, anything having to do with human habitation. And paleontologists, what I do, deal with everything before humans came on the scene. So all life up to humans. So paleontology is associated with dinosaur bones? Yes, dinosaurs, and of course uh, we have a lot more invertebrates, so clams and all that all that sort of oh. invertebrates, um, especially in the Bakken, um, we have a lot of that more so than, than vertebrates. And, but we also do have dinosaurs in, in North Dakota as well. Um, I spent five years working on... Um, in the North Dakota Geological Survey before I started with Beaver Creek. Um, I've spent five years working on a dinosaur that has preserved skin. So technically a dinosaur mummy. Uh, It was a natural mummy, of course. And this was found um, in Marmoth, which is in the southwestern part of the state. It's part of that sauerkraut triangle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. So I had worked on that for five years, and that's actually going to be on display at the New Heritage Center in Bismarck, which is going to be opening hopefully this spring. So they have an expansion, and there's a, a place for this. It's a very large fossil. It's several tons. So we need to have a, a lot of space in which to display it. What preserved it? There's a lot. There's a lot of theories, and a lot of actually a lot of people are doing research on that fossil. Um, one of the things I think of um, that's interesting: arsenic is a preservative, and there's a lot of arsenic in the groundwater in Marmoth. So I don't know if that was the case when this dinosaur died, or a lot of what. Probably what happened is it died and was covered in probably the same event or very shortly after it died. There's no evidence of predation, so it hadn't rotted at all. It hadn't been pulled apart by scavengers. There's really, it's just perfect skin that has since been replaced by minerals, so it's now rock. But we've taken thin thin sections, so we've chipped off parts of the skin and taken thin sections, and there's some researchers working on whether or not you can tell if, you know, if there were colorations you know if the if the different size scale equals different color so it's sort of there's a lot of different research being done on that it, it wasn't like a flash freeze or a pompeii like event no like no back when krakatoa went off the last time <laughs> 680 million years ago or whatever no it was not a volcanic event um it's interesting that all the um the matrix that was just a fancy word for the rock that's around it all the dirt the, the matrix that we're cleaning off is all the same like grain size so it's all a small grain sandstone so it was probably sort of a flash flood event that just deposited maybe got deposited in like the turn of a stream or something and just got covered up very fast at the same time is that unusual to have skin it is there's only six known dinosaur mummies in the world one is actually on display at the american museum in new york city and so there's one there's several different ones and they all have names because you know you've got to name your dinosaurs (laughs) And that was Amanda Persons, Beaver Creek, Archaeology. Next, former governor of North Dakota, Ed Schaefer. Well, unfortunately, uh, when you have a whole lot of money, Jason, people sit around and try to figure out how to spend it. 
you know, you take care of the needs, mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, well, we have some left over. How can we spend it? And legislature's efforts are to solve problems. I mean, they, you know, they've got a problem in a community. They worry about it. They say, we have some some tax dollars here. How how can we use those to solve problems? As you as you have too much money in a bag, often legislators um, and governors, you know, will say, well, let's solve the problem with tax money. And sometimes that problem should be solved with the private sector. But instead of encouraging the private sector, we put tax dollars in. And one of the perfect examples where I think the state of North Dakota is making a mistake and competing with the private sector is in what you just mentioned, the water delivery. You know, we've allowed the setup of the Western Area Water Supply Project, which is clearly in competition with the private sector. And you allow people to have, uh, you know, grants, no taxes, low interest loans, uh, not people, but, but uh, communities that can, can, that can build a water supply project for what, a third of the price that the private sector can do it and then go in and compete with them? Well, that just isn't right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, we have to be careful in North Dakota when we have enough money so where legislators are trying to solve problems with a government solution instead of encouraging the private sector solution. Our country, our state, you know, we're built on private sector investments with government encouragement. Um, if we start getting into let's have government run the businesses, let's have government compete, uh, I think it sets us up for a big problem in the future. And that was the former governor of North Dakota and current member of the Continental Resources Board of Directors, Ed Schaefer. Next, North Dakota State Representative Vicki Steiner. Um, Southwest North Dakota, how's the, their water supply? I thought I've heard that um, Southwest North Dakota, and even as you get down in that Black Hills area, there's not that much water to pull from. Uh, Southwest water is uh, moving along. They've got, uh, we we appropriated $79 million more dollars for that system. Um, Bowman, I asked, in visiting with uh, Southwest Water authorities, um, I asked them, are we going to have enough water if the Tyler uh, formation should get going? And the answer was that Bowman didn't need all of their allocation or turned it back. And so that allocation can go to Hedinger County if that's where the development were to happen. But um, I don't know if anybody really knows how much demand there would be, how big the play would be yet. So I think we just have to let that unfold. I mean, uh, it's really hard to predict when you don't have any activity and, and nothing to base any projections on. Mm -hmm. But so far, so good. Um, she said that she thought that things would be able to um, be worked out. Um, Dickinson will have a water depot, I understand, right on um, Old Highway 10. And there's... Um, there just isn't in that area. It's a semi-arid area, as you know, and getting quality water to rural residents is the priority. But also, too, now we're trying to make sure that business can flourish as well with that, with that project. And that was North Dakota State Representative Vicki Steiner. Next, Dr. John Huntington. John Huntington. Dr. Huntington, where are you from? Uh, well, I, I'm from Colorado. Oh. I, I live and work in Fort Collins. And how long have you been involved with oil and gas uh, from an educator standpoint, I guess? Or maybe you were a, a roughneck worker back in the day. No, no, I've never done that. <laughs> never done any of that hard stuff. <laughs> I'm a, uh, I worked for, for uh, oil companies early in my career. And so I, I did, uh, did R&D mostly for refiners. So that's how I got started. How long have you been involved in with the oil and gas up till current date? Not to date yourself or anything. Uh, but Thirty years. So you have quite a wealth of knowledge. Well, I don't know how how wealthy it is, but I've got some knowledge. <laughs>
The water supply, we've been following that a little bit here on the program. I've had uh, North Dakota State Representative Vicki Steiner express some concerns for that uh, south west region of North Dakota you're getting into the badlands there's not a lot of water down there so right. how can you get it in there where's it going to come from what are you going to put back right so what how, how involved is that reclamation of some of this water can well, it that, ever be reclaimed that's pretty hard i mean yeah there's some nice technology that lets you reuse it but as far as reclaiming it and putting it back in the, in the rivers or the, the surface water of the country, that's very difficult to do because it turns in usually to high salinity water. Uh, it's hard to take that salinity out. Ten times, twenty times the salinity, I understand? Yeah, easily. What are some of the, uh, I guess, steps that somebody needs to take when it comes to uh, understanding this water? Well, I think first of all, as I said, the background, the, the, the base water before you do any drilling, it's important to understand that chemistry. Okay. And that's a set of fairly straightforward tests. And that's that how much iron's done. in your water. Yeah, iron, calcium, magnesium. We have a lot of iron in, North, in Red River yeah, Valley here. Colorado too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and toxic metals. You need to understand that. You need to have a baseline of what that is. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen lots of cases where people have argued, hey, my arsenic went up because of your drilling. Well, you know, nobody knew what it was before. Plus, you also have to look for hydrocarbons. Because even though you haven't drilled, the agricultural activity and other things can introduce hydrocarbons into the environment. You can have contamination in groundwater. You need to know about that stuff before you drill. If you don't know about that stuff before you drill, as soon as somebody discovers it later, the first place they look are the drillers. Now, maybe the drillers did it, maybe the drillers didn't, but they're working with a lot of hydrocarbons. So that's a logical direction to point your finger. But if you have the background tests, it gives you at least a place to start. How do you... How do you gauge this? I'm, I, and I'm not sure I'm even phrasing this question correctly, but I'm thinking about the environment, for example. Um, so, some of the uh, taconite mines up in Minnesota was known for taking out a lot of wildlife that was in its path, from microorganisms to newts to fish. Uh, the uh, uh, John Cooper U.S. Wildlife was talking about uh, arsenic water down in the um, uh, gold mines down in South Dakota, for example. I guess, um, what are some of those gauges that you have on there? What do the landowners do? Let's, uh... Well, like I said, the first thing you need to do is to understand what, what your chemistry of your groundwater is. Mm -hmm. And then you monitor it over time after the drilling. You look for changes in that chemistry. Now, who, who does that monitoring, though? The, well, the landowner, the oil company, both? Most of the time, it's the Tooth oil fairy. company. It's the oil company, but I, there are some landowners that do it. Okay. Uh, however, you know, one of the problems with all of this is that there hasn't been enough of this done throughout the drilling history. You know, where you've done a good job of establishing the the baseline chemistry mm -hmm. and watching it over time, so that you know what's going on, so that we understand all the impacts that can occur. And that was Dr. John Huntington. To listen to the entire segment on Bach and Water, or to hear the entire interview with Amanda Persons, Ed Schaefer, Vicki Steiner, or Dr. John Huntington, visit our website, buildingthebakken.com. I'll watch you in your chair.